I'm as much of a graphic designer as I am an artist. So when I see something that's an example of really great design, I just can't get enough. And that's what happened when I came across Uppercase Magazine maybe a decade ago. Um, I first fell in love with how beautifully designed it is. And only then did I dig in and appreciate the art, craft, and illustration within And it's designed, edited, and published by the extremely talented Janine Van Gool, a one-woman publishing magnet, who, in addition to putting out her beautiful magazine, has created and continues to create an amazing series of books called Encyclopedia of Inspiration. And I could go on fangirling all day, but let's let Janine tell her story. Hi, this is Laura Lee Griffin. And this is Nikki May with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Janine, welcome to the Stardust Society. We're so excited to chat with you today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So Janine, you've had such an interesting journey. I mean, clearly we can see your graphic design roots because you design Uppercase Magazine so beautifully. But you've also been a shop owner, a bookseller, a gallery curator, a stationery designer, a fabric designer, and an educator. And I'm kind of exhausted just saying all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So give us an idea of how this winding road got started and what brought you to where you are today. What is your stardust story? Sure. Well, I didn't do all of those things simultaneously, but (laughs) sometimes there was overlap. Um, So... Um, if we want to go way back to the beginning, when I was a kid, I always loved um, drawing and writing and combining mm-hmm. the two. And so I would make little tiny books, um, you know, just a couple inches wide and staple scrap papers together and mm-hmm. draw my own stories. And I would um, so sort of publish little magazines that I would force my family to look at <laughs> during <laughs> gatherings, family gatherings like Christmas and Easter and such. So I was always making little books and um, I love typewriters. I love anything where I could um, put my ideas on paper. So this um, love just has been part of my, my, my makeup really. Um, Mm -hmm. and then when I was, um, you know, old enough to head into college, I had discovered that graphic design was a thing that you could actually combine text and images professionally. And actually someone has to design books and do all these things. So that was a revelation. So Mm -hmm. I went to art college and studied visual communications. Awesome. Um, and that was a diploma program. And where was this? This was in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, I graduated in 1995, so right when computers and desktop publishing was mm-hmm. becoming the new normal um, for what we how we do things. Um, right. Even though I have I have also some background in paste up and dark rooms and cameras and stuff. Um, Ruby lift, <laughs> Ruby lift. Yeah, I was I was a negative stripper. You can put that on the list too. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So when I graduated from college, um, I bought a computer 
and just invested in understanding how all that works and learning Quark Express and the Adobe stuff at the time. And I looked for a job and pretty much right away I was freelancing. I had a job for maybe nine months and then just started doing things on my own. Yep. So I did graphic design freelance for arts and culture clients for about 12 years. Nice. And really enjoyed that a lot. And I got to know people in the arts and in publishing. And I did design for other people's books and other people's magazines. And eventually, I just realized I wanted to do that part of it, like the publishing and and combining all the ideas and images right from the beginning. So um there was a little segue where I had a retail and gallery store called Uppercase, and that's where Uppercase got its name. Uh-huh. It was in downtown Calgary, and people could come in and see the gallery shows that I curated. In the back, I would do my design for clients, and in the front, um, I had a gallery and sold greeting cards that I designed and made products and things. Um, and so eventually, I just retired from client work so that I could concentrate on, on Uppercase things such as launching a magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is no small undertaking. I mean, when you you get this idea in your head, okay, I want to launch a magazine, where do you even start with something like that? Uh, Well, I had been designing for other publications and one of them was a magazine. So I learned quite a lot just from observing um, what they were doing and kind of I learned what not to do because they were very occasional in the issues that they released. Like one time there was four years between issues. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So when that publication finally um, decided to call it quits, uh, I, that's when I decided that I had this part of my brain that was magazine thinking that I could create my own publication. And so I was initially thinking of it from purely a creative standpoint, like that it was something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to express my own, my own ideas. Um, And then I had to figure out how to make it into something viable that other people could actually support. So how did you decide what it was going to be about? I mean, obviously, with the arts and everything that you were, that you were into, um, it was going to be in that direction. But how did you How did you narrow it down? How did you choose what the focus was going to be? Mm -hmm. Well, when I I had uppercase gallery books and paper goods, so I'd been doing that for a number of years before the magazine came about. So within the the art gallery, I was curating shows that were about design um, or they were about um, so-called commercial art and photography. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they would mostly be themed and I would put, put it on open call and people would um, submit their artwork and I would curate a show from it. Um, so that's how my, um, that's how the content for the magazine developed really was through those experiences of curating shows and getting to know artists from all over the world. And, um, also the, the marketing of gallery exhibitions where, you know, you have to get people into this, into the place to come and see the artwork. And, um, so that's what uppercase was for many years. Uh, and so the idea of a magazine was um, born out of that um, creative and curious is what I call it. Like this yeah, exploring different ideas and different mm-hmm. kinds of art and different kinds of creativity. Um, all starting with like graphic design as a base. So mm-hmm. through typography and communication and illustration, um, those were the foundations of it. And then as I've grown, craft has really become something that I'm personally really interested in. 
Um, so those are the kind of the basic um, topic areas that I explore. And I can I can see the transition from like your themed shows that you would curate because each Mac, each each I was going to say episode <laughs> each issue has has a theme. So it's a pretty natural transition there. Yeah, yeah. The themes are there's usually a couple, and one is more of a um, like an obvious practical one, and then mm-hmm. there's usually a sub theme which is more of like an emotional um, theme or or a tone or a mood that I'm trying to um, curate for. Mm-hmm. So that that's a fun challenge to, uh, to have that combination. I have to say, I, I love this one. <laughs> so I'm holding up my <laughs> latest issue um, that is says "Keep Showing Up." I think that's a Lisa Congdon image on the front. Um, right. But it is a beautiful magazine. So when you first started this, I mean, people always wonder if you go, I want to make a magazine and you've created such a beautiful one. When you just started, this was how many years ago? 10 years ago or so? Uh, More. 2009 was when the first issue came out. Did it look like this? I haven't seen any of the really older issues. Is it very similar and true to what it was 10 or 11 years ago? Well, the the cover is actually so... Um, the design of the cover, the masthead position, the logo, the pattern spine. Oh, the pattern um, spine. They look so beautiful <laughs> on their shelf. Thanks. Yeah, well, that was that was all by design when I first launched the magazine. Oh, yeah, definitely. It shows. Yeah, because I wanted it to have, uh, you know, shelf presence both from the front and from the side. Yes. Because um, I love libraries. I, I would imagine seeing my, <laughs> my magazine in the library from the side. So... Originally, when I came up with that concept, then I had to have enough pages so that it would be perfect bound. So that mm-hmm. determined how much content I needed. So a lot of it at the beginning was directed from a graphic design kind I of love- vanity sense, really. Yeah. I mean, um, as, a, as a graphic designer myself, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like if I was going to do my dream magazine, I had to have certain things. And, and that was one of the things that I had to have, which was a nice thick spine and nice paper. So, so that kind of general template has been the same since day one. But mm-hmm. then within the image area, that's where I've explored with different kinds of art and typography and different artists um, over 53 issues now. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thanks. That's so that's part of the personality of the magazine now is is that design. But inside oh, yeah. the magazine's changed a lot. Like if you looked at the first six issues, mm-hmm. the the editorial direction was a little, I don't know, all over the place. I didn't quite know what I was doing as an editor. Um, and it had a wider range of topics and it just I it took a while to find my footing as an editor. Yeah, you had to find your voice. Yeah, yeah. Um but and then the design inside changes a little bit um over the years with I hope better typography um mm-hmm. and um the grid system and such has actually stayed quite similar over the over time but um, yeah, I think the personality inside the magazine has changed the most through both my learning as an editor and also my skills as a designer and then the quality of the content that's presented as well. Well, it's a great combination of consistency and growth, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, okay, if I had the idea that I wanted to make a magazine 
And I think, okay, well, I can pull together some content and I can design something, but how do I get it out there? How do I get it published? How do I get people to buy it? I mean, how did you, how did you go from idea to the beautiful, well-known and, and loved publication that you have now? Well, there's 13 years there. I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell us all 13 years, but. Yeah, but in the beginning, in the beginning, it was, oh, sorry, my dog is making a lot of noise right now. My dog is 16 years old and he's Aww. just. Uh, Mine's 15 years old. And he, so. he just sort of wanders around bumping into things because you can't see. Aww. Poor so. thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, so the magazine is uh, 13 years old. So but when I first started, it was in the time of blogs and Flickr and mm-hmm. pre-social media of like Instagram and Twitter wasn't around. Um, and I had a, a newsletter list as well because I had the gallery and these international shows that I was curating. So initially, I just needed um, 400 people to subscribe to the magazine and that would cover the print expenses for the first issue. Okay. So that's, that's where I started. Right. And then I just crossed my fingers and hope that, um, as I, after I had the first issue that more people would subscribe and Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that it worked. But by the end of the first year, I had about a thousand subscribers. Oh, that's fantastic. And that was enough to go for another year. (laughs) It's just, but just barely squeaking by, you know, just paying the, the basic expenses. Um, but so over time, um, many, many years it took to, for it to become something that was, um, I guess, uh, sustainable. Yeah. Um, probably it took seven years really before it was actually something that didn't stress me out on a regular basis (laughs) as far as um, how I was going to pay for it. Um, but it was just a labor of love for all those years and it continues to be a labor of love, but actually now it's actually a decent living as well. Excellent. Um, yeah. But and how did you grow that subscriber list? So you started with uh, a newsletter list that you already had and yeah. um, obviously some growth is just going to happen organically by people loving it and sharing it. And yeah, actually I would say that that's the number one way that the magazine has grown over the years is people talking about it and sharing mm-hmm. it with their f- creative friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one way it's grown. And then I guess Twitter launched just like, I can't remember what year Twitter came out, but when my first issue came out in 2009, I remember opening a Twitter account and <laughs> my first <laughs> tweets were about the first issue being delivered and such. And so for a while, Twitter was a really great place to um, let people know about the magazine um, and then for a while, it was uh, a blog. Um, and then for a while, it was Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mostly, though, these days, it's from my newsletter that um, um, people find out about the magazine and, and become subscribers through there. But it's just a lot of experimenting and trying and basically just putting out as good a quality of a publication as I possibly can and then letting that speak for itself. Well, and it really does. I mean, there's no other magazine out there that I think is as beautifully designed. Well, thank you. <laughs> if there is, I haven't, I haven't seen it. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> the only thing else, the only other thing I can think of that even comes close is what is it called? Flow? 
Yes. Is it Flow? It's about paper and... Yeah, that's a, a Dutch publication. Yeah, that's another like really beautifully designed one. But most magazines out there... Not so much. Not yeah. so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about you don't have advertisers. That's correct. And that obviously is a conscious decision that you made from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a bit? Actually, I did have some ads at the very beginning. Um, but advertising has never been something that I have relied on at all. Like mm-hmm. the, the magazine is entirely supported by its readers and subscribers. So the very first few years I had ads because I kind of thought, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And some right. people wanted to be in it back then. And it was ads like, you know, the art college where I went to school or mm-hmm. <laughs> people who are in the magazine, I would give them some ad space, you know, in exchange for having them having contributed in one way or another. And people could um, purchase inexpensive ads about their Etsy shops and that sort of thing. Um, but it was a lot of work um, to wrangle the ads and such. And yeah, right. it wasn't really worth it from a financial standpoint. And honestly, I just wanted more pages to put more content in. <laughs> <laughs> so once I decided I wasn't going to bother with ads, then, then that was a great decision. And I'm very glad I made it. And so for the vast majority of time, it's been ads free and mm-hmm. entirely supported by readers. There's no like government grants or sponsorships or anything. It's just, just their subscribers. The business model was really you putting out this amazing product into the world, knowing that it would organically grow, right? You're putting the best product out there and that the readership, then those subscriptions are supporting the the publication itself and you. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily um, like a model for growth that I understood when I started, <laughs> but it's just, I'm a perfectionist by nature. And so I wanted to make something that was really, really pretty and really nice yeah. and that I was proud of. Um, and I don't need to have a lot of subscribers to support that. Like I've always been a niche publication because mm-hmm. like, it's not available like in Barnes and Noble or any place like that. Mm-hmm. It's just mostly through me directly through my website and then some indie shops here and there. And those people have gotten in touch with me directly. Like I don't um, actively seek out um, stockists. So that's sort of been the model. Well, let's talk a little bit about content. You mentioned content before. And when you create a publication, of course, you have to get contributors, you know, to create that content. And you have some vision, like themes, like you were mentioning for what would be in the magazine at a certain time. So how do you go about getting that content to fill the number of pages that you require? Um, well, so once I've identified the themes, um, I have a roster of regular contributors and so I, I know where their areas of expertise are and what they're, they're personally interested in. So then I start assigning the content um, mm-hmm. to the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll just say, this is the theme. What, is, what do you think about? Like, and then they will come back to me and, and pitch some ideas. And then we work out which is the best direction to take. Um, and then there's always uh, new writers and freelancers that I work with in each issue because they're particularly an expert on that particular theme, for example. Mm -hmm. And typically I'll reach out to them because I've, um, you know, I've been following them on Instagram or I'm familiar with their work or I read their blog or, Mm -hmm. you know, their subscribers and I've uh, Googled them and see what they're up to. Um, 
So there's always those ones that I um, will assign. And um, then there's usually a couple of open calls for submissions, and those are um, open to readers, and they can submit Mm -hmm. work based on particular themes, or they can pitch article ideas or their own portfolios based on those specific themes. Mm -hmm. So those are the the three ways that that I have content. But ultimately, it's all coming through my brain and my, um, my like content idea database that I keep, um, where I'm always putting things in and tagging ideas and sorting through things. It's all the magic in your head. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of it is really, it is because, uh, I think that's part of what makes the magazine so unique is that it does filter through one person and, um, it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of work, but it, I think it works. It's definitely your vision. But I imagine you get hundreds of pitches, right? And, you know, when you do those open calls. So are there specific proposals that catch your eye the most? I mean, if people were looking to have work in a beautiful magazine like yours, is there something that would help them sort of stick out of the crowd? Um, well, I actually don't receive too many just general idea pitches mm-hmm. um, throughout throughout the, the week. There aren't that many. Um, but when I make specific mentions in my newsletter, for example, then I, I might get more. But there's always instructions and information on the participate page on my website. But what stands out when I get a pitch um, that I want to work with is the person is, first of all, they're familiar with the magazine and they understand the kinds of articles that I do. Right. Um, and then their pitch will be well articulated, uh, well written. <laughs> if they want to write an article, that's kind of the basic thing. It, it has to be articulate. Or they have like outstanding images and they're extremely talented visually. Those, those two things help for sure. Well, I love that you provide so many opportunities for artists and writers to get published for free in your, in your magazine. And, um, and the you have the submissions page on the website. And then I love that the email that you send out just has all these calls. And that's how I've actually gotten to be in it <laughs> twice, <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, where you've just put out a call. For example, the one that I was in, you put out a call for art related to uh, vehicles, cars or transportation. And I submitted my card that I had drawn all over. So that was super fun. I don't remember that theme, honestly. <laughs> I've never had that theme. It was issue 2028. 20, <laughs> I don't remember the exact wording. It had to do with... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't transportation necessarily, but maybe travel or something like that. Travel. They were um, vintage transit tickets on the cover, maybe. That's so long ago. I can't even remember. <laughs> We've all slept a few times since then, I think. Well, yes. Well, I remember it because I'm not published in so many magazines that I'll easily forget. But my my car is in there that I drew all over. Okay, I'll look for it later. And Nikki is about to draw all over a bus soon. So she'll have a much larger vehicle that she's drawing. Oh, yeah. I'm about to I'm about to move into a school bus and we'll have my home and studio in it. And the outside of the bus is going to be a big canvas for me. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That could be an article. I might have to propose one. <laughs> yeah. Pitch is coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get the bus first. 
So for the last 10 years or 11, 12 years, you've created these amazing magazines. 13. 13. 13 years you've created this amazing magazine. And then at some stage, you started to produce and make books. How did that come about? Actually, I started making books before the magazine. Um, so when I had some gallery shows, I made books, um, you know, gallery mm-hmm. exhibition books that would go with the show. So um, that's where I first kind of got the publishing bug was when I did that. And the very first book I published is a complete uh, anomaly, um, but it was called The Shatner Show. And it was about William Shatner as a, you know, <laughs> Captain Kirk from Star Trek. Yeah. So that was 2007 when I did that show. Wow. And he was 76 at that time, turning 76. Wow. And I had a gallery exhibition with open calls for images of William Shatner and his various incarnations of Captain Kirk <laughs> and all the other TJ Hooker and all these other characters he's been over the years. Um, And since I had so much artwork coming in, um, I got his permission to create a hardcover book about the show called The Shatner Show. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was a weird year where it was all about William Shatner. (laughs) But that was that was pre before the magazine and everything. But that was the very first book I did. And then I did some subsequent books uh, for gallery exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And um, those are really kind of fun and quirky. and then the magazine launched in 2009 and I had already done maybe four, four or five books by then. Wow. Um, and then more recently I've been doing, as you mentioned earlier, the encyclopedia of inspiration, which mm-hmm. is so beautiful. <laughs> yes. Those are epic, large, large books of in between three and 500 pages each, like real encyclopedia size. Um, just full of profiles of different artists on a very specific topic for each um, volume. Mm -hmm. So there's been about printmaking and ceramics and yarn thread and string. Um, And I'm working on one right now that will be out in June and it's all about art supplies. So that one's really exciting and beautiful. We've already been lusting over that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's so pretty. There's so much amazing um, profiles of artists and their love of art supplies. And then manufacturers, people who make artisanal like watercolors or other s- small batch art supplies. And then some of the large um, big companies that, that you all know and love that you can get at your local art supply store. Do you have any encaustic in there? Um, yes, there is some uh, encaustic. Laura and I are both encaustic people, mm-hmm, <laughs> among mm-hmm. other things. Well, I have an entire house full of art supplies, so I don't really, um, I don't really favor one over the other. I just like them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the uppercase way. That's like the the hallmark of a reader is that we just love all that stuff, all the creative things. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was so hard. And it's still so hard trying to downsize to get what I can fit on a bus. <laughs> so how many of the how many of the encyclopedia books have you published so far? Um, Art Supply will be the 10th. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite a stack. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Are you doing one for each letter or? Yeah, that's the plan. I call it there. They each have a letter of the alphabet uh-huh. on the spine. And but I'm they're released in what I call a whimsical, non-alphabetical order. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they're just 
I'm doing A now, for example, right. for A for art supply. <laughs> Um, but I've already done Y for yarn, thread, and string. Nice. But yes, uh, someday, eventually, I'll have one for every letter of the alphabet. And I, I do have a list of ideas for each of them. Um, there's a few missing pieces, but I have many, many years to work on this. Uh, it's like a lifetime project, I think. I don't know. You're you're almost half through. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I slowed next? the pace down a little bit, though. Um, okay, before okay. I was doing um, two a year, and that was that was one too many. <laughs> I can only do one a year. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean because they're they're huge, right? They're four hundred pages or three hundred pages or something. So um, there's a botanical yeah. one, I think, um, with like florals mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna own that one pretty soon. And I. I also think that you're a fan of vintage things, if I'm correct. Now, I grew up with my mom taking me to estate sales every Thursday to collect antiques. So I always love all things vintage. Um, so I've seen some of that in your magazine and in your in your books and stuff as well. Yeah, I love vintage stuff. So I do have a, one of the encyclopedias is Vintage Life. And mm-hmm. that explores um, people who live in vintage clothing or s- sell or they have a vintage environment or something. Um, and then there's also an encyclopedia about feed sacks, which is a vintage mm-hmm. um, textile. They used to mm-hmm. be um, wet, you know, chicken feed or flour right. and such used to be packaged in this beautiful um, fabric that has, people would um, upcycle into clothing and crafts and things uh, with just really beautiful surface pattern designs. So, so that's another vintage themed uh, volume. And then um, outside of this theme, I published a book called The Typewriter, which mm-hmm. is all about my own personal obsession with typewriters. Um, yes. That was released in 2015. Um, it's out of print now, but uh, it was, uh, yeah, that book took many, many years to put together and it was a total passion project. I love old typewriters too. I just had to part with two of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can fit one on your bus. <laughs> need a minute do they come in miniature size (laughs) yeah you can get it portable (laughs) and then if you're not connected to the internet you can still still write there you go (laughs) well i can always draw (laughs) okay so one question i have you are creating a book every year you're doing at least um is it is it four issues of the magazine every year that mm-hmm. is a lot. And you're like a one woman show. Like you're designing all of this yourself. Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. Yep. Yeah. The design aspect is like the icing on the cake, though. Like design of any of these projects is. That is the most fun part. Yeah. But it's like one of the smallest part of having a magazine is maybe there's 10 or 12 days of design per issue. And then the rest is just like content gathering, editorial and logistics and database and finances and all that other stuff. The boring part of being a designer or an artist that people think um, only takes up 10% of our time, but usually takes up like 90%. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you have all of these things that you're doing. How do you manage your time? How do you get all of this done in a day? Like it, 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 that is just fascinating to me. Well, um, I've been doing it for a long time now. And before the magazine, I did freelance design. So I've always been in charge of my schedule and in, I'm responsible for getting things done. So even when I was working for a client, that is 
up to me to figure out how to manage my time so that I deliver on the job. And with the magazine, I have literally thousands of people waiting for each issue. And I'm always on time. Like I'm, I'm very driven by that responsibility and that accountability of having people waiting for it. Mm-hmm. So that's a driving force to make sure that I get down to business and do my work. Um, and I have developed lots of systems and lists and procedures and things that I can repeat now that I've done this so many times that that takes away a lot of the, the stress of wondering, oh, what do I do next? Because I, I know because I've written it down. I know what happens mm-hmm. next. Um, so I'm very organized. Um, I don't waste time. Like it's just, I just don't. I don't. <laughs> can you bottle that up? <laughs> I don't have time to waste. And I'm homeschooling my grade sixer this year too. Oh, wow. So there's, there's a lot. Yeah, definitely. Really try not to waste time. That's amazing. I wish I knew how to do that. Procrastination is my middle name. Well, there's good procrastination and there's detrimental, detrimental procrastination. (laughs) Actually, issue 52 explores the ideas of um, creative procrastination. It can sometimes, you know, actually help your creativity to procrastinate. But there's a lot of like very specific deliverable things that have to happen at certain times if I want to keep the magazine on schedule from Mm -hmm. a production standpoint and mailing and all those things. So um, there are points along the um, like the lifespan of an issue where I have less that I have to do and it's a bit of a break and and I can, you know, relax a little bit and I don't have to be working so um, intensely. Um, so, you know, it ebbs and flows, but mm-hmm. basically I just, uh, have a, a good work ethic and I get down to business when I have to do things just so I'm, it frees up more time overall just to get things done when I can. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> I need to <laughs> learn from that. So you mentioned you were homeschooling your child. Mm-hmm. And is this related to COVID? Have you always homeschooled or is this a new thing? Oh, it's because of COVID that yeah. uh, we decided to keep him home. Yeah. Um, so the, the first year of pandemic, there, there was a program um, like remote learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second year of pandemic, they didn't offer that anymore. So we've... Right. Everybody was going back. Yeah. But we didn't feel comfortable with that. So we've been homeschooling him instead. How has COVID affected your business in other ways? Has it affected your business? Has it caused production delays, shipping delays, printing? Um, well, the first thing that happened was I just came home instead of going to my office every day. So I kind of mm-hmm. missed my my studio. Mm-hmm. But it's very portable and that I just need my big computer, you know, so that I can design and keep on top of things. Um, so that was just a personal shift for me to bring everything home. And then I'm very grateful to my printer. They have stayed operational the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, for the most part, the Postal Service has done their job. There have been some times where it's been extremely delayed and, you know, stuff that's beyond my control. But eventually people get get their magazines. <laughs> so I'm grateful to all of those systems. Well, especially because you ship internationally, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's some countries I've had to not ship to in the past couple of years, but I can ship to um, where where the, my core audience is anyway. Um, so that's been um, 
I'm very grateful that I didn't have to have any like shutdowns. Obviously, a lot of the um, the stores that stocked the magazine had to close um, for a while, and that affected more of the stores than me because it's a very small number of magazines that I actually have in comparison to subscribers. Right. And I've been very grateful to all the people who really embraced uppercase in the past couple of years. So it's actually been a time of growth as far as subscribers are concerned, because we all need mm-hmm. something to do and something to cheer us up and something to look forward to. People had more time to read magazines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I've, I've tried to keep the content of the magazine is always, you know, optimistic and, and uplifting and um, motivational. So um, that's been well received. Excellent. Now, one of the things I love is that uh, your magazine is beautifully printed and we're kind of in a world now where everything seems to be going digital. You know, I I love used bookstores, but now it's like everything's on a Kindle, you know, and things seem to be moving digital. Um, have, Have you ever felt a pressure to go that route? Well, when I first launched the magazine, um, there were a lot of big publications that were very heavily invested into the iPad version of their mm-hmm. of their magazine. So I don't know if you remember like Wired Magazine or Martha Stewart Living back in the day. They would have these elaborate, elaborate video animated, amazing iPad apps. And so people, hey, Janine, when are you going to do that? And like, there's no way I could do that. Like I'm, I can't. I can't, you know, become a programmer and do all that stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. um, people were would be used to paying a lot less for the app than they were for the print magazine. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to take away from the print magazine by offering a digital version. So I decided pretty early on that I was not going to have a digital version. And I just stuck to that. It's It's about print on paper. I think that's a great choice. Yeah. Well, we're all tactile artists and creative people. and We just, we need paper. And even if the magazine ends up like getting cut up for collage or something, you can't do that with an iPad. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're stuck in front of our screens all day long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I really do embrace print on paper. Um, but of course, I always have environmental concerns and sustainability concerns. So um, it's all on the interior stock is 100% post-consumer recycled paper, and mm-hmm. it comes in a recycled um, craft envelope. And so I'm plastic-free across the whole system, even in the fulfillment. You're not supposed to use any plastics or wrap or anything, plastic mm-hmm. wrap. So that's where I'm at right now. The only thing that would persuade me to do digital is environmental concerns. Right. Because the shipping yeah. of a printed thing across the world is carbon intensive. So, right. Yeah. But that's not something I'm going to do anytime soon. And, and Well, good. I love the way they look on my shelf and yeah. they, you just can't spread out a whole series of them on an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the magazine will always be print. Yeah. Good. And I even love that you um, you include a little note that suggest reusing the um, recycling the mailer that it comes in paint on it you know use it in collage I love that yeah and people do that they really look forward to the envelope and they have like started a series and they need another envelope and someone emailed me (laughs) recently said do I have extra envelopes because she has something in mind oh that's funny 
So I might send her the, like, sometimes I get returns in the post of people who have moved or whatever, and it mm-hmm. couldn't be delivered. So then I get all these magazines back with the envelope that's been, you know, there and back again. Right. So I, I saved that. So, you know, maybe I can send that out to someone else and cool. they can make use <laughs> cool. of it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about... So we are, Laura and I both also do surface pattern design. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've we've always loved your patterns that you do. And let's talk about your partnership with Wyndham Fabrics and your your fabric collection. Sure. Yeah. So as we talked about on the spine of the magazine, mm-hmm. there's a different pattern that I design inspired by the content of each issue um, and the theme. So um, quite a number of years ago now, I, I had a a stack of magazines and I took a picture of the spines and I thought like that would look really nice as fabric someday. Um, and I had been asked to be a judge for uh, QuiltCon mm-hmm. one year. And so um, I, I went down to Texas and I looked at hundreds of quilts and learned a lot about quilts because I, I, um, I love that stuff, but I, I wasn't, you know, in that industry at that mm-hmm. point. So it was like a great crash course in learning about quilts and fabric and surface pattern design and, and with um, experts like Carolyn Friedlander, who was the other judge at the time. Um, so then when that um, exhibition of the quilts that the judges and I had curated was um, up, the Wyndham Fabrics was down at QuiltCon and the president emailed me from QuiltCon and just said he really liked what I had selected for my judge's choice award. And I figured like, this is the guy from Wyndham Fabrics. He has time to email me from QuiltCon. Like he's, wow. he's got time on his hand. And, and I thought, this is, this is the opportunity. This is your opportunity. Yeah. So I had that photo of the spines and I sent it his way and said, wait, what do you think? And then like he said, yeah, let's do it. So that's how the first fabric collection came about. But that's amazing. Wyndham had been involved with the first, well, the first surface pattern design issue that I had out. They really liked a lot of the artists and commissioned Mm -hmm. collections from those people. Oh, fantastic. So I had followed up with an article about what, how that had developed into a collection for some of my readers. So we had oh. already a rapport via email, right. but I didn't want to take away from my readers by pitching my designs. That wasn't the point. But when the opportunity <laughs> arose, yeah. it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've done four collections with them um, over the years, and they've been involved um, with the past surface pattern design issues in that they will select a winner from all the submissions that I get. Um, and that winner gets a, a quilt um, collection Nice uh, with them, with Wyndham. Nice. Awesome. So I'm curious, what is the biggest challenge that you've come across in your career so far and how did you get past it? Hmm, that's a good question. Not to put you on the spot or anything. Totally put you on the spot. <laughs> the, the biggest challenge was for all those many years at the beginning where I loved what I was doing and, but I wasn't, I didn't have a viable business, right? So mm-hmm. there were, it wasn't until 2014 um, that I kind of turned the corner because it was, was basically just living on a, a line of credit 
for all that time. Like I would Mm -hmm. gain subscribers and that would pay for a print bill. Mm -hmm. Then I'd have to pay the print bill. And then I would dip into the line of credit and go and go way into the hole, then work myself up and then get back into the hole. And it was like that for forever. So um, 2014 is when I discovered B-School, which is like Marie Forleo, who's a, oh, yeah. a, basically a business mentor. And she has a signature course about business and marketing. Yep. And I took that in 2014 and it totally changed the course of my business. Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Was there anything specific that you can say it was this thing that turned the corner or was it everything? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, well, it was everything. At the time, I had employees um, for the first few years. I had people working with me, mm-hmm. um, but the magazine wasn't successful enough to keep paying them and to pay me and pay the print bills. And I was at that point where something had to give and I was right. paying my employees and not paying me. And like, I'm the sole earner in my family. So that wasn't going to work out. I, I kind of knew that I was going to have to do a big reboot. So when I took B-School, um, first of all, I learned about some marketing basics that I had really no clue. I had like, an mm-hmm. intuition about what I should be doing, but it was mm-hmm. just confirming to me that I needed to do certain things that I'd been afraid of doing. So right. I did have to um, let everybody go and start over basically and start over with um, just working on my newsletter and communicating with what I was going through and just talking, you know, authentically what I was doing instead of trying to so-called market stuff, Right. you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So that was the biggest shift and the newsletter is the number one thing that um, really turned the business around. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, B-School was a big thing and I'm, I'm an affiliate for B-School and I have been for the past four years. So it's a big part of my business career now is... Uh, promoting B-School and, but also like putting all the things that I've learned, um, into, into reality year after year. Yeah. Into action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, we actually both have done B-School too. (laughs) (laughs) We're just not putting it into action like you did. (laughs) Oh yeah. We're, uh, well, we both had other full-time jobs that kept us from going 100% all in, Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what year it was that I did it. It's probably been, I don't know, four years, maybe. Yeah. I can't remember. Well, you can come back and do it again. We're, we're doing it live right now. I've been thinking about starting it over again right now. Yeah. Yeah. But so other than B-School, what other resources can you share with us that have been really helpful for you? Um, well, I use Notion. That is a um, basically... Um, my external brain. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a uh, <laughs> platform software. I don't know what you would call it. It's a relational database. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's where I put absolutely everything, and it's very customizable. So I can do everything in there. I have my ideas. I have the encyclopedia content. I have the information that goes to the printer about the logistics of where 12,000 copies of the magazine goes, like absolutely everything uppercase related is in Notion. And so I couldn't live without it. I've been using it for a little over two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I used Evernote, which was also amazing, but Mm -hmm. Notion is a a level up. Oh, yeah. Um, There's much, much more um, that you can do with it. So it's really complex, but once you invest your time into understanding what it can do, it's 
pretty amazing. So that would be my recommendation. Excellent. I've played around with it a bit, but I, uh, I have a tendency to, to go all in on a new tool and, and work on getting it set up and then see the next shiny one that I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> now let me try this one. <laughs> Each project management tool lasts you two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've gone through a lot of them too. And it was sort of a hobby <laughs> vetting yeah, all these different ones. I mean, ones. it has been for me too, but that's not a very great use of your time. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. It's not productive. No, but with Notion, you can pretty much do anything because you can just make it exactly what you need. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, so I have a question: Is there a warehouse somewhere that is just full of books and magazines? Of uppercase books and magazines? <laughs> um, well, I I have a storage unit, um, and it's full of my books and magazines. Um, but what happens it, when a new issue is printed? Um, the majority, well, first of all, the subscriber copies are sent out and then the others are sent either to my distributor in the UK, which takes about 600 copies. Then the rest are sent to a fulfillment company or fulfillment warehouse. And there's, mm -hmm. I use one in Montreal for sending Canadian orders. And then I use one in um, Los Angeles area. And that one fulfills orders that are going across America and overseas. So those are the warehouses that have the bulk of my items so that when people come to my website and buy something, that's where it's shipped from, unless it's right before a new issue is sent from the printer and it goes from the printer. Okay. Yeah. But there are, that's just, those are gigantic warehouses oh, yeah. and I've just got a little tiny palette <laughs> or two there <laughs> in comparison. You mean you're yeah. not stuffing every single issue into the craft mailer and sending them out yourself? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But I, I did start out doing that in the early days of the magazine. I, I did all the mailing myself. But though the printer does the um, stuffing of envelopes, but they're um, they're called the Prolific Group in there in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and they do a lot of amazing stuff by hand that you'll see on on uppercase. Like the Encyclopedia of Inspiration has a dust jacket around mm -hmm. it, and mm -hmm. then it has a belly band around yep. it. That's all put on by hand. Wow, just not your hand. Not not me. <laughs> no. Sometimes I have little goodies and things that I've packed up into little glassine envelopes and I've had friends come over and we've packed those things yeah. up. But uh, with COVID and stuff, we haven't done that sort of thing in a few years. But cool. Yeah. yeah. If I could do it, I would do it all. But really, yeah, you <laughs> gotta, taking it too, too far. You got to sleep. Yeah. One of the things I'm curious about is the length of time it takes you from the concept of the magazine to actually finishing it up. I know the books take about a year. Yeah, the books are a year. That's about right. Nine months at the very least, like a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are babies. You have many babies. <laughs> yeah. With the magazine, uh, I'm always looking ahead, coming up with themes. And the theme might not have a specific issue yet. But if I'm feeling inspired or I see a lot about a particular topic or theme that I want to investigate, then that goes into my Notion database where I can start collecting um, towards that particular theme. So I like to have themes lined up for at least two or three issues ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's fairly nebulous at the beginning. Um, but as I get closer to um, the dates, then it becomes more and more um, cohesive and I start kind of honing in on the vision. But the initial ideas of themes that can happen a year in advance, 
mm-hmm. but more likely like eight months in advance. I'm always working on trying to get that, you know, done a little bit sooner so that I can assign content sooner and have everything kind of in process a little bit sooner. Um, but some, some themes are easier to, to see come to fruition than others. So for example, the spring issue that's out in April had gardening as one of the main themes and mm-hmm. we all, like gardening is that's so easy really as far as a visual theme to come up with amazing right. things um, for that so that one was it didn't take much advanced planning for that one to come together but then I have some themes that are a little more uh, difficult or um, open to interpretation so for example I want to do something about abstract, abstract art, abstract thinking, abstract as a word. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. And so that's a theme that's abstract. (laughs) It's a little (laughs) bit, it's open to interpretation, right? So that's one that I'm working on right now. And that would be for the issue that comes out in July. Yeah, I could see how that one, the visuals would be easy, but to get writing around abstract is a little more challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the one after that will be about graphic design and typography. And so that's my wheelhouse. So I'm like really oh, into, yeah. into that and kind of returning to my roots. So that one will probably be a little bit easier for me. Right. Um, but yeah, so so I guess working three issues ahead is really what I like to do. Awesome. Well, Janine, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been amazing. I've loved your magazine since the second I saw it. So mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to have you here on the podcast. And we just are looking forward to the next issue. And I'm pretty sure we're going to end up with the Art Supply Encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your enthusiasm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate your support of the magazine. Um, and I look forward to hearing from from your listeners um, and seeing their work when they submit to the magazine, too. Excellent. Absolutely. And what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, at uppercasemagazine.com in the uh, navigation, there's the participate page. And that explains um, all the different open calls that are current and some ongoing ways that you can submit or pitch your work or submit your portfolio. So that's like the inbox there is always open if you go through that webpage, you'll get all the information about how to submit. And you'll definitely want to sign up for her weekly email. Um, She sends, is it one a week or two a week? Well, I have my main newsletter, which I send out every Tuesday. And then there's an an optional one that you can select, which is called All About You. And I send that on the weekends. And that's highlighting the work of um, readers and subscribers from around the world. Yeah, that's actually a fantastic one because um, I've been in that one and you just have to send you a little an image and a blurb and you'll put it in the in the newsletter but definitely sign up for the uppercase email list because you'll get all of the submissions that she's looking for sent right to you exactly yeah that's how to do it yeah to learn more about janine and uppercase magazine check out our show notes at stardustsocietycom slash uppercase if you've enjoyed today's episode we'd love for you to share it with a friend Sharing helps us reach more Stardusts like you and keeps us inspired to create new episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.